0: Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Well, I wonder if any of you have ever experienced this, this thing? I hope you never do, but if any of you have ever been out on the water before, maybe on a big boat or something like that, and um, you've experienced this thing called seasickness. Has anyone ever experienced what it's like to be seasick before? And you know, I feel for you. There's something that, when, when you know that feeling, it is that is a rough feeling. You know, a few years ago, I was with my family in uh, Caloundra, and we decided that we would have a great time together going on a chartered fishing trip. I, I'm, I was so excited about that. So we, a bunch of us got together, and we, we, got, uh, we got out to the, where the boat is about to launch, and the captain came out and greeted us and said, you know, uh, you might want to change the days, and you might want to go another time, because uh, the waves are unusually large today. I mean, you can go if you want to, but they're quite big. Well, we didn't have any more time, and we were very excited to to go on this adventure together, and so we were keen. And my brother-in-law, Obi from Nigeria, he'd never really been on a boat before. He didn't really swim, and so we wrapped him like in bubble wrap in every conceivable flotation device you can imagine. He waddled onto that boat. I'll never forget, like a, a stuffed bear walking onto that boat. And then there was my, my brother-in-law, Brendan, and sister-in-law, Tammy, and they wisely took these anti-nausea tablets. But me, on the other hand, I, I, I'd been on the water growing up. I was like, oh, that's okay, I didn't bring any. I'm, I'm confident, I'll be fine, let's, let's go off. And so we were off, bouncing, up and down, all the way out, and we're laughing as we hit wave after wave. And then we stopped, and we were no longer laughing. We just begin rolling, rolling, rolling. And while I was putting my hand into the bait bucket, I remember the something about the smell of it finally captured my attention. And I remember looking over at Tammy and beginning to say, I think I'm gonna be. And a miracle happened. I saw my breakfast for the second time that day. And unfortunately, although I had leaned over the side of the boat, there was this gust of wind. And it whipped by, and it went all over my sister-in-law. And I'll never forget the look on her face. She just blinked. And then she started to whisper, it's okay. It's okay. Pretty soon, it wasn't long before everyone on that boat, except Tammy, was losing their breakfast chips... And I remember Brendan; he was kind of in the fetal position in the corner and he kept saying, we've still got four hours of fishing left. (laughs) The captain was handing out buckets, Obi, I don't know what he was saying, he was laughing through it all. He was throwing up too, but he was laughing and he kept going, is this fishing? (laughs) I was sick so many times that the last time I was sick, I remember leaning over the boat and I actually became unconscious. I passed out rolled back into the boat. And the next thing I can remember is seeing a bright light. And as we're rolling back and forth from the inside of the boat and Obi with this giant inflatable standing over me going, Ryan, are you okay? Are you okay? I wasn't okay. Excuse me. <laughs> I wasn't okay. Anyone who has been seasick will tell you the only thing you desperately want when the waves are rolling is to get back to shore. You are totally desperate to stand on solid ground. And even if you've never been seasick, how many of us realize that the times that we're living in often are having people feeling as if they're rolling through life, going through these massive waves, where the world is rocking with change? The pandemic, the politics, the lockdowns, the economic uncertainty, the adjustments within our homes and in our workplaces, so many are desperate to stand on solid ground. No, last week I sat with a member of the city council and one of her biggest concerns, actually the biggest concern that she had in mind was the mental health of our local community. A recent report stated that Australians have been turning to Lifeline in record numbers since COVID-19 started, monthly receiving about 90,000 calls. That's a call about every 30 seconds and these numbers are expected to rise. And it's during times such as these that we remember God's word consistently reminds us to pray. James 5.13 says, is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Paul writes in Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Isn't that good that we're encouraged to do this? And Jesus himself prayed in both the good times and the bad. You know, when he was at the height of his popularity and people were rushing to meet him, it says in Luke 5:16 that though the crowds were rushing after him, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And in the hard times, when he was facing death in the garden of Gethsemane, it says that Jesus prayed. Prayer was so central and powerfully central to to Jesus' own life that the disciples were watching and they said, that's a request that I believe many would even ask today. They said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And so today we enter a three-part series called Talking with God and I thought it would be appropriate to start us out with the Lord's Prayer because I believe it has the power to keep us steady through the storm. A life shaped by this prayer. Living this prayer offers a foundation to stand firm through difficult times. So you can look to your neighbor now and tell them, I'm steady. I won't throw up on you. (laughs) And here's how. This is the power that will keep us steady through the storm. It's not centered around our own strength, but entirely hinges upon these first two words Jesus taught us to pray there are two words inviting us into a new kind of relationship with God it starts out with our father can you hear it this is the son of God inviting us to join into the transforming power of a father's love this is what the disciples wanted this is good news And it's from this position in Christ that we then go to petition the Father with confidence for every other aspect of our life. The prayer then goes on to touch on. It's looking at all sorts of of our life. It touches on who God is and what it means for us. On the spiritual, the physical, the practical needs of each day and our hopes for a future. Its scope is personal yet global. And if you look at it closely, you'll see it's capturing our attention of who God is, putting God first, and what that means for us. Theologian Daryl Johnson describes his prayer as 57 words that change the world. How amazing is that? It's worth paying attention to. It's called the Lord's Prayer But it's really the disciples' prayer. It's the followers of Christ. This is our prayer. A gift Jesus offers for those who are seeking guidance through troubled times. And when I think about my life, our community, our world, I can't help but come to a conclusion, God, we need you. And it's not a resignation, but a realization of something that's always been true. In the middle of our storm, I need answers beyond my own strength, beyond what that world may offer. I need a hope in a future. I need solid ground, a firm reason that starts making a difference to how I live my life today. And the prayer says it all begins when we follow Jesus in saying, our Father. And I don't know what you might be going through in your own life right now if you're feeling tossed or you know what it is feeling like to have the waves going through. And perhaps it is that you understand the psalmist who says this in Psalm 61, as my heart grows faint, as I'm wearing out, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I wanna know, do we know this rock in our life? Are we clinging to this rock, this one who stands above our situation? Because in Christ, Jesus invites us to participate in the transforming power of his love that will keep us steady through the storm. I want us to take a moment to pause and think about the biggest challenge you might be going through right now. What is the largest wave going through your life And as we reflect on the Lord's Prayer as found in Matthew 6, 9, I want you to begin, imagine that Jesus is sitting with you. You might even want to close your eyes. Imagine that Jesus is sitting with you in a place that's comfortable for you. And you're talking to him, you're pouring out your heart to him, and he's hearing you. He understands your situation. And perhaps you think, God, where do I even begin to pray? Where do I even start? I cannot find the words. And Jesus looks at you and says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I wonder, do you realize this is a revolutionary prayer? Initially, the disciples may not have recognized it. There are two accounts of of this event, the one we've read of, and then in Luke, He talks about it in chapter 11. And it's in the context where Jesus' disciples have said, teach us to pray, as if we see your connection between the power, your life-giving power, and your prayer. We wanna be a part of this. Would you show us how to participate, to get along and be in touch with this? I imagine Peter recounting the moment later on. He says, you know, we finally plucked up the courage. We finally asked Jesus, can we pray like you pray? Will you teach us how? And he agreed. And so we sat down, we took out our our pen and paper, and we expected a long lecture. And then he spoke for about 20 seconds and said class dismissed. And yet the more they thought about what Jesus was saying, the more they understood its importance, its revolutionary power. And it's why Matthew's account puts it at the center of the most important sermon ever given, in chapters five through seven. The most important sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter six, is the Lord's Prayer. He does this on purpose. And at the center of this new life, of saying, our Father, this new relationship with Christ is something that holds the whole thing together. It's the announcing of God's good news, what Jesus is actually doing. And it ties into every aspect of this prayer. It says, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I think it's helpful to think about the Lord's prayer perhaps in terms of three P's: of position, of perspective and provision. This is how we remain steady through the storm, where Jesus invites us into a new position to say, "Our Father." And the six petitions within this prayer that follow put God central to our perspective: Your name, your will, your kingdom. And in that space, we entrust our lives for his provision. As if to say, because of my new position as a son, as a daughter of the Father, my perspective is to worship God as central to my life, to put him first, and when I do that, I trust that God's provision will meet my needs through the storm. Our confidence for this request all hinges on this position through Christ that unites us like family. Do you hear the power of this? He says, say this with me, our Father, our Father, our Father. Eugene Peterson says, says, with the hour, Jesus puts himself in our company. With the hour, we place ourselves in the company of Jesus and all those who pray this prayer. This is us, church. Jesus says, Our Father, Abba Father, quite literally translating something as to Daddy. And that sounds a little awkward. And for the Jewish audience at that time, it was really awkward to put ourselves in that sort of intimacy with God, and that was the point. Jesus is saying, you you want to have this sort of power, this this intimacy with Father? You want to have this transforming love in your life? Come then. Come like a child who realizes they can only receive this love like a gift. Come like a child who knows the security and intimacy of a good Father. Come follow me. Come take my yoke upon you. Come eat this bread. Drink this cup. Join with me in this position then, as the beloved son. And so you too can pray, dad in my need, when the storms are rising, redeem, restore, feed, forgive, we need you on earth as it is in heaven. When we recognize this position that God places us in, we suddenly gain perspective of our good father, and it inspires us into a life of worship. God becomes a love in our life that shapes every other love. The first three petitions puts, God's, puts our focus on who God is. Do you hear it? He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is about you, God. We're putting you first. And out of that, we trust you. You could actually use on earth as it is in heaven as a tagline for each line of this prayer. Matthew has purposely centrally placed it to highlight the goal and the destination. That we're praying in God's reign to come in every way, every aspect of our life. And what I find amazing in in this is that we're not only calling God to action, but we're committing ourselves to this plan. As in it's a future hope, totally dependent on God's will and action. But we're participants, how? Through Christ. Aligning our lives to what's being described. And in doing so, we experience a foretaste of the goal on earth as it is in heaven. Just listen to this. Hallowed be your name. It starts with hallowing God's name. It's recognizing that God is holy. A life of worship. He is set apart deserving of our highest honor. He's God and we're not. And our whole life comes into alignment with these truths, giving glory and praise that He deserves. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our conversations, the way we resolve conflict, our character and our commitments. Your name, God, your kingdom, your will, we're putting you first. You know, in the Old Testament, the name of God was worshiped in the sanctuary. And this was the place his presence dwelled. But do you ever think about Matthew 28? Where it talks about we're baptized, we're raised to life in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Because his presence now abides in us. So a hollowing of his name means we're participating with the goal right where we've been placed in our everyday life. On earth as it is in heaven. It's how the poet Gerald Hopkins writes, for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. So the question is this, are we hollowing the name of God's presence that's abiding in our lives? Your kingdom come. Jesus announces the inbreaking of God's reign. And every miracle is a foretaste of the coming main event. Where the blind see, the lame walk, the mentally ill are made well. There's food in abundance, and there's no one going hungry. And relationships are restored. There will be total redemption throughout creation. And Jesus says to say, come, bridge this gap, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And our lives align to this call to action in our commitments of how we go about each day. Caring for the poor, healing the, ho- bro- the brokenhearted, feeding the hungry, whatever it may be, our work and our words become places to bring life and blessing that reflect God's own kingdom. So my question on this is how do we pursue God's kingdom agendas where we've been placed each day? Your will be done. This is ultimately an act to trust God through the storms, through it all. And Jesus identifies, he knows what that's like. Remember before he kicks off his his public ministry, what happens? He's sent out into the desert or he's tempted by Satan. We can read about that. And Satan does something interesting. He offers him a shortcut to success. He says, do you really need the cross to be worshipped? Why not take the easy way? We're out in the desert, no one's watching. Why don't you just do it this way? And remember, while he's praying in the garden, Jesus says, is there any other way but this cross? But not my will, but yours be done. C.S. Lewis writes, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done, as in have it your way. I wonder how many of us realize that the way we're choosing to live our life answers whose will we're prepared to live by. Listen to this quote by Eugene Peterson. I've been thinking about it all week. It says this, life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not, but whether to worship or compete with him. So does my life reflect a trust that God's will is ultimately best? So we have a new position in Christ. And it gives us a perspective that leads us into a life of worship. Your kingdom, your will. And that's what gives us the confidence to then ask for his provision. Which is the last three verses. They combine together our position and perspective to give us courage to the storm. It says this, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if you can hear this, but it's actually talking about a a hope and a courage that, that it's for our past, present, and future situations. It's so holistic in perspective. Three things stand out that give me courage, and I hope it does for you. The first is this. Give us today our daily bread. Now Jesus is talking about the daily spiritual and physical needs we each have. And even in this time, this this bread is a figure of speech, a catchphrase, as if to say, Jesus is saying, I understand what your needs are and let me tell you where to find it. Look to the Father. He's actually echoing Exodus 16 where Israel, if you remember, were daily having to go out to get bread, the manna, to collect it for their needs. It was the only way they would survive is to go outside collect it up they could not produce this bread on their own they did not have the strength in their own accord they were totally dependent on God to provide and that's the point Jesus saying look to the Father daily discover God's God's provision It's not a passive prayer, but one that says, as I go through my day, I have a confidence that the Father will provide what I need through my storm. My situation is temporary. My problem has an expiry date. I will hold on and keep holding to this rock that is higher. A love that's gone further. A foundation that runs deeper than my problem. Deuteronomy thirty-three, twenty-five 25 says, your strength will equal your days. So though, like Christ, I may be praying through the night, my, God's power in us will rise to meet the challenges of our day. Give us today our daily bread on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts. This is, you hear it, it's the past. It's dealing with the past now. A debt implies we have a rap sheet, we have a past, we have infractions, we have a history. And if you don't believe me, maybe just look to the person next to you. They they might be able to remind you. The Bible calls it sin, and it separates us from God and one another. But you know what I find interesting as I was reading through this week and preparing is the religious crowds, you know the number one reason they were so angry at Jesus? They got so angry. It wasn't because he was healing people. It was because he was forgiving people. Forgiving people of their past. Jesus was establishing a new covenant through the cross, paying a debt we could not pay, that whatever our past, whatever our history, a new way for a destiny was yet ahead. As we join him to say, Our Father, forgive us. We'll follow you in say. Maybe we know what it's like to have a past that acts like an anchor to our life that's holding us back. We keep trying to set sail and we keep getting dragged back down. Jesus comes to redeem. He says, I've come to set the captives free. And if it's just me and my boat, just me navigating the waves, I've got a problem. But when he comes to forgive our debts, he's setting the anchor free that we would sail and we would go towards the destination that he has in mind because we're no longer alone. There's a fourth man in the fire. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the future. You know the word for test and temptation in the original language is actually the same, but it gets rendered by the way in which we choose to respond. It's why Jesus, when put to the test in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Temptation. What's the temptation? Well, the temptation is to stop trusting in God's goodness and faithfulness through the storm. It's why Daryl Johnson translates this, this part of the prayer, when I come into my times of testing, when I'm in the storm, may I not be tempted to not trust in your goodness and faithfulness along the way. You know, a few weeks ago, I was cleaning up after dinner in the kitchen and uh, this, this cockroach went running across the kitchen. It kind of waved at me with its antennas along the way. It was that big. I mean, you could have put a saddle on this thing and ridden it. It was huge. And, and it ran into the bathroom. And uh, Beck's not a, a big fan of cockroaches. I don't know who is. But um, I didn't want to disturb her. She so was in the bedroom with Bo. And uh, so I, as I walked by, I didn't say anything. I just grabbed a little spray. You know, the pest control spray, and I shut the door quietly and I went on the hunt. And I went into the bathroom, I found that thing, and there it was, still waving at me with its antenna. And it shot off, and well, I I like to think I'm a little bit of a gunslinger because I shot that thing about 20 times before it ran away, and I was kind of proud of myself. Yeah, game over. Except it wasn't over, exactly. This bug had a final act. The cockroach decided to run around me back through the kitchen, under the bedroom door that I'd shut, and into the bedroom where Bo, Beck and Bo were sitting on the ground reading bedtime books. <laughs> I didn't even see it, but I heard it. <laughs> I heard it. Uh, first, Beck yells out, then Bo starts yelling, and you know what I did? I locked the door. No, no, I didn't lock, I didn't lock the door. I wouldn't be standing here today. <laughs> I ran in there with a tissue and I was ready to to take care of this situation and when I run in there, Beck and Bo are are both pointing under the bookshelf as if to say, it's there, do something. So I poke my head under there and and there it was, it was there and it was uh, laying on its back, legs all over, you know, it was dead, it was gone and, you know, even to to this day, I mean, every night I'm still putting Bo to bed, she'll still point under the bookshelf and say, Bug. Now, I like to think I'm her a hero for saving her day on that, but, but the truth is this, that bug was already dead before he ran. You know, our confidence through the storm, whatever we might be going through, is because of a provision that God has already made for us. And we sing about it at church, We celebrate it, saying the enemy has been defeated. Death cannot hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. We're gonna make your praises loud. Because he is our confidence, the one who will deliver us from evil, as the prayer says. That whatever our situation, we can call out, dad, as we point to the problems, he comes to our aid, he doesn't lock the door. And whoever storm we're going through, our destination is secure, that we can trust in His goodness and His faithfulness along the way. Because although we, people might be yelling and screaming around us and the enemy would have us carrying in a corner, our Father is good and trustworthy to deliver us. That bug was already dead before he ran. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.